Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hello. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. No problem. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. So Nicole Stoller is a host of the Rich Geek, Richer Geek podcast. She's also a W2 tech employee and also an entrepreneur, real estate entrepreneur that went from single family to multifamily to hotels to now hotel syndications. Is that correct? It is. Wow. I would love to learn more about how you got started from tech into the real estate entrepreneur. We don't mind sharing with you a little story. Sure. So the the background is that my husband and I, we, we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 1999. So pretty much right when it came out. And I was very excited about the concepts in the book. We decided that the business we were very interested in was real estate. And we went to a seminar, which we learned a ton about creative ways to buy property. And we came back and we implemented those strategies and we ended up with four properties and they were multifamily. So like a fourplex, threeplex. And we were able to buy those creatively with no money, so to speak. Actually, it was seller financing and we had to put some down payments down which we didn't have any money at the time. So we used credit card cash advances because you could do that in 1999. Uh, and about six months into it, it was pretty clear that we were failing miserably. All kinds of reasons for that, mostly because we didn't know how to manage residents or how to appropriately analyze properties. So just a side note here, if a property is free or low down payment, doesn't always mean it's a good property. So we learned that lesson the hard way. So we actually ended up giving the properties back, going deeper into debt, selling our little starter home, moving in with my parents. So that was the start of our background. Uh, now, the entire time I was working in tech and my husband was working, then he and I decided, hey, if we're going to be in this business, we need to learn this business and we should get paid somehow to learn it. So he ended up going to work for a very large multifamily uh, property management and development company. So that's kind of how we got started. Wow. That is an interesting transition to go from conference. Okay, I'm going to go and take action. And then you realize this is not going well. We got to give everything up, kind of go back to start from square one and then restart over. A very interesting transition. So can you tell us a little bit about your first I was to say successful real estate deal. How did that go and how did you find that property? First successful. Well, when we, so my husband learned the business and for a while we just had some single family homes that wasn't really a big focus for us. A lot of other things we moved across the country, other things going on in our lives. And we ramped up our investments again once we were in, we're in Phoenix, Arizona. And we bought a fourplex. Uh, now you asked me successful. I don't think that fourplex was really all that successful, but the next property, a sevenplex was fantastic. Probably, probably of all of our multifamily, there's two that have just been phenomenal properties. And what I mean by that is that they cash flowed, of course, but the residents had pride of ownership. And in both cases, in those two properties, we would have wait lists. It was not hard to rent out the properties. 
um, it was just, they were desirable either for the one, the seven plex was just people had been there and they only wanted neighbors to be people that they would know. They didn't want to live in close proximity with people they that were strangers. So that particular property just had such pride of ownership. It was it was just a fantastic property. So that was successful in the fact that, you know, you weren't having to deal with crazy stuff that sometimes people do in multifamily, like kicking down doors in your laundry room and, you know, trashing, trashing your property. Yeah, understandable. So you went from a fourplex to a sevenplex to, I think you mentioned earlier, a 28 unit? 28 to 50. Wow. That's kind of quite of a jump. How did that happen? The, so we sold the fourplex and then we were selling the sevenplex, the 28 unit. Now that was a tough property. When I talk about kicking down doors and laundry rooms, that's that property. I would say it was definitely a D or maybe D minus just really very challenging, but we didn't know. (laughs) So we jumped in. Um, We actually got that property with seller financing, which was pretty cool. We did that for about a year and then we rolled it into traditional commercial financing because I, the seller financing, obviously you're paying higher rates. You're not, you're not getting the best deal. Um, and after a year of experience in managing that property, we were more easily able to get a commercial loan, but that one, you know, we were just ready to go into something bigger. It definitely was a little bit scary at times, but uh, it ended up being the property that gave us the launch to get into the 50 unit. Wow. So how did the transition from the 20 unit to a 50 unit go? Like, was there any major difference between operating a 50 unit versus the smaller one? Yeah, at the point. So when we had the 20 unit, what my husband did is he developed, we, even when we had the seven, uh, seven plex, we had one person that was kind of like, the watchdog and that, you know, got us either a small income or reduction in rent for doing certain things like maybe taking the trash out. And the 28 unit, we did have someone that was there a little bit in that type of role, but not, they weren't getting a unit for free and they weren't really full-time or, or uh, anything like that. The 50 unit got to the point where, yes, my husband developed an on-site that particular property had an actual office in addition to laundry room right next door to it. And so that, that was a little bit different, but he found a really, really great on-site person. And then that enabled my husband to be able to just go like once a week, check on things, deal with paperwork, et cetera. Nice. So the power of a team definitely helped out in that 50 unit, it seems like. Yes, absolutely. So you went to 50 unit to a hotel? Yes. So a little bit about why that happened, because it isn't necessarily that we set out to buy a hotel per se, like back in the day. And we always wanted apartment complexes. What happened was we received a couple of unsolicited offers for the 50 unit. It was, it was a father, son. They were coming down from Idaho they were under 1031 exchange. And we turned down the offer a couple of times. Finally, on the third time, my husband's thinking, you know, this, this is probably kind of amazing and we should take it. The challenge is then we were going to be under 1031. 
And so we started looking to see what was available. Absolutely, we were going to look for multifamily. But the challenge is we couldn't find anything at that time, which would have been like 2016 coming into 2017. Even at that time, we couldn't find anything that met our uh, investment criteria. And it's simply, you know, we live in Phoenix. We invest locally. We like to be close to our properties. We like to keep a close eye, even though maybe we have, like with the hotel, we have management teams. And when we were looking around, the cap rates were really low. We weren't finding the return on investment that we wanted, and we still wanted to stay in Phoenix. So actually about a few years prior, our broker had introduced us to a hotel guy. So I use that terminology because he had said, hey, you know, you are, as you look to expand, this might be an area you could consider he was helping the hotel guy look for land because he was going to do a new build. So we were very intrigued. The numbers were um, way different than and way better than we saw in multifamily. And we didn't end up pulling the trigger at the time. So when we were selling the 50 unit, couldn't find any multifamily properties, knowing we were going to be under 1031 exchange and a deadline, we called up the hotel guy and said, hey, do you know of any off-market hotels that would be a good deal? So the good thing about that overall relationship is he's very involved in operations for us. And in our second hotel, he's involved as well. Uh, it's been a great partnership. He absolutely knows the hotel business. And then, of course, we've learned as we've owned the properties. Awesome. That's the power of networking. You never know who you'll actually meet and how you, they could be a benefit to, for you and for you to them. So Absolutely. you met the hotel guy and then what type of property or hotel was the first one? Can you give us more details about that? Yeah. So the first one, so we buy what's called flag hotels and that would be basically that they are part of a national brand and they are franchises as opposed to independent hotels. And there's a whole variety of reasons for that. We're not necessarily buying the hotel for the specific brand, although there's probably brands we'd want to stay away from, um, but we are buying it for the location. So the same thing that you look at for any kind of real estate is economic drivers, uh, what, what's happening in the area, is it a good location? So this particular hotel is 80, the first one was 81 keys. So that's another in the hotel industry, instead of units, they use keys. And it is just in the outskirts of Metro Phoenix area and close to, you know, major employers, highways, all those kinds of things. And again, a branded hotel. Nice. So I can tell from what it sounds like, it's very similar, but it's also different to multifamily where instead of units is keys, but the foundation is still kind of the same where it's location. Location is the key. Location is key. And then the same thing that you look for in multifamily where you're looking for value add opportunities, improvements that you can make in the property. That's absolutely what we look for as well. The improvement types of things that you would be doing exactly, exactly like in multifamily where you're going to update the units in our case, update the rooms, right? Refresh the linens, refresh the paint, the carpet, all of those things. Uh, we also look at operating costs and opportunities to decrease those costs. And then in our case, we look for revenue opportunities. So in multifamily, you look for where can you increase the rent to be at market rates, 
and maybe add some other services that you could charge for. In our case, we would look for what are other large booking groups that we could go after, like employers or traveling teams or something like that. Awesome. So like you said, finding ways to decrease expenses and kind of increase income in sort of ways. So what ways have you find that you're able to increase the value of the hotels? Well, so one of the biggest things is just overall revenue. So when you are selling a hotel, it's on a multiplier of the gross revenue. So that that's the evaluation. So very, very, very key to increase, increase revenue, which is a function of not only top line, but also decreasing costs so that the overall gross revenue looks, uh, looks really good. So just efficiencies, uh, reducing needless contracts, those types of things, uh, being on top of customer service and support, responding to reviews, all of those uh, taking feedback. So, you know, our hotel has a large group that comes in twice a year and books the entire hotel, the 81 key hotel. They book the entire hotel twice a year for at least a month and a half. So it's three months out of the year. So this is a very important group for us. And they had some feedback about the bathtubs. So we refinished all the bathtubs because they're an important group and taking that feedback and and making sure that we continue to keep and maintain their business as an example. Awesome. Thank you. Like, like you said, that customers are kind of like the lifeline of the, any property. If you take care of them, they'll take care of you. So that is a great example of providing value for not only for the customers, but for ourselves as well. So how are you finding, or how did you find your next deal? The one that you were possibly syndicating, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we did. So a couple of things. We, uh, prior to this, had never syndicated. And we became intrigued by the idea because we saw other opportunities. And we thought, okay, there's a, there's a, we had enough people that were very interested in the next hotel. Like they would say, oh, that's so cool, the next hotel. Or even right when we bought the hotel, people would say, can I invest with you? You know, I've got X amount of dollars. And I, it just really did not click that there was, would be a way to put that together. It just was not in our thought process at the time. And what we ended up doing is we were kind of surrounded by other entrepreneurs in actually other industries. So we know someone who's in the restaurant industry who was doing a capital raise we also uh, and ourselves invested in a med tech company doing a capital raise. And I think being around those folks, talking with them helped us also realize that, you know, as we see hotel opportunities, uh, there isn't a barrier for good opportunities. There's not a barrier to raising capital. And so that's when we started down the syndication path. We identified this hotel, gosh, my husband looked at several and his operations partner, they looked at several hotels. They looked at independent because they thought, well, you can always take it to a flag if, if you want to. They looked at, you know, some even a little bit further outside of Metro Phoenix in the Tucson area. And they ended up settling. They basically, no, I shouldn't say settling. They, they narrowed it down and came to a couple of hotels. Then you can just do a quick back of the napkin math, 
you know, sign an NDA, get some basic information. And through that process, really became excited about this particular hotel opportunity, primarily because it's being run as a mom and pop with, you know, less experienced operators. Uh, there's um, a flag conversion going on, which means there's disruption. So that has caused a drop in revenue, which means we're able to get a lower valuation out of the gate. So value add. Uh, and then location, just really great location in terms of, again, highway and economic drivers. Awesome. That is phenomenal. So when you mentioned that they're right now the property in acquisition are kind of reflagging or repositioning, when should someone or a hotel operator reflag or go to a different flag when they're operating a hotel? Yeah, there's a couple of times that I can think of off the bat where that might happen. The first would be where the brand actually doesn't want to have that hotel property anymore. Meaning, for example, there's physically something about the property that is not up to their standards. So some hotel brands want properties of certain age and uh, younger. So if you're an older property, they don't want it anymore. And it has it's nothing to do with you or the way you operated it. It's just not part of their brand image. Other examples would be exterior doors. Some hotel brands don't want those anymore. So they want all interior hallways. Uh, another example would be that you don't have an elevator. So you can either install an elevator or you change brands. So, so there would be some kind of circumstance sometimes like that where the brand is severing its ties with you and then you have the option to go out and research what's going to be most appropriate for you and your situation. And then the other thing would just be if your contract comes up and then at that point in time, you might decide that you want to switch. But these are those are really long contracts, like 20 years. So that doesn't happen that frequently, but some of those other situations would be examples. Okay, understandable. So let's say that a contract comes up or they're thinking about a rebranding or the hotel brand customized. Is it possible or should someone go independent if they're operating a hotel? Yes, absolutely. You can go independent. And especially at that point, as your contract comes up, that can be, so this is a whole question around independent hotels versus flag hotels. I think if you're a boutique hotel or you're in certain small towns and you have limited competition, then you could probably go independent. But if you are in major metropolitan areas, you're catering to the in our case, we're, we're in limited service hotels. We're catering to business travelers in groups. It's going to be really hard as an independent because you're, you're just not going to show up in the corporate travel, right? When people are booking their travel and there's just something where people, they want to know what they're going to get. So they want to stay at a particular brand because they, they know what to expect and an independent sort of makes them and in, in, again, unless it's a boutique, a boutique, very niche, very specialty. And then that would be in, you know, kind of smaller town tourism type of areas. So it seems like they're either picking their 
comfort zone, like name brand hotels, or they're going for a special needs, like boutique, like you mentioned, hotels, if they're going independent. Exactly. So, why you mentioned that you went to multiple family in the hotels because of the 1031? Why hotel? Why not try to stick it out? I understand you was on a kind of a 1031 deadline. Why hotels? Why not go 1031 to an office or something else like that? It's mm, a good point. Okay. So the difference between a single family home, let's just take that as an analogy, a single family home, long term rental with, you know, annual lease versus a short term that you put on Airbnb or VRBO. You will find that the person who has the, sh the short term, their profit is much higher. Now, granted, there's more work, right? They have to clean the unit or the house more often. They have to service it more often. They have to check in guests. There's a lot to that, but they're paid more for that work. It's very similar in a hotel versus multifamily. Uh, the per unit or per key is higher revenue than you would see in multifamily. Uh, and it isn't that much of a stretch. Uh, for us, it didn't feel like that much, mostly because we're in limited service. So our hotels do not have restaurants. They don't have those kinds of amenities that, that would probably make them a little more complicated to operate. It didn't feel like that far of a stretch for us. Uh, but to your point, let's say that a few years earlier, our broker had introduced us to someone who invested in industrial and that's all that they did, or self-storage, or office space. Then, and we knew that, and we knew that we had some, a mentor, and we had some guidance, then yeah, we may have been in those. But in our case, it was the fact that it didn't feel like that much of a stretch, the numbers looked good, and we knew that we had support. Awesome. So what areas is your current uh, hotels at right now? Are they mostly all in Phoenix or is kind of surrounding the Phoenix area? Yeah, they're in the Phoenix metro area. Phoenix is you know, very large and you go from one city to another. So it's best to say Phoenix metro area because that definitely covers uh, a lot of, I, I don't want to say little towns, but you go from one suburb to another. Yeah, that is true. That is true, especially in Phoenix. So I asked that question because I was going to ask, what other markets are you looking for for hotels? Are you strictly in the Phoenix metro area or are you kind of open to different markets as well? Yeah, so we are, I think at this point, and I say I think because we just closed on that other hotel and there is a baseline and a transition and uh, you know a lot of things that are happening around that particular hotel right now. But we do look at numbers and we do analyze properties still on a regular basis. I also, I have an email list for people that want to invest in the next hotel. And I sent out an update for this morning, actually, just, you know, what's happening in hospitality? What are some key trends? So to your question, I know that there's some markets where the supply is outpacing the demand. 
And those are specifically, at least the, the 2020 predictions are specifically Florida and Texas. So those are probably two areas where we would not be looking to invest. There's also markets in the country where year over year um, occupancy rates have dropped significantly and Florida is one of those places as well. So it's kind of like two strikes against Florida wouldn't be one of the places, you know, from, from our mindset that we would be uh, looking to invest. And so we'd probably be looking at, have a map of the country with, you know, kind of green for areas where there's very limited incremental new supply coming online, yellow where there's, you know, more that's coming and then red where it's, it's probably going to outpace the demand. So I'd look at those trends, look at the value add opportunities, stay in select service because we do like that particular space and uh, look at numbers. And, you know, if we, if we find something that looks good, we would absolutely entertain it. Nice. So what markets have been so far checking off all the boxes in your guys' criteria so far? Oh, well, so the PAC Northwest, interestingly enough, has a lot of green, which I'm not sure why that is. <laughs> because, I mean, when it comes to housing and multifamily, it's still a you know, pretty hot market, but there's a lot of green in there for sure. So that means, you know, so, you know not as much new supply coming online. But I guess there's a point to where because we live here, we're very aware of what's going on, the the business laws, the regulations, the approach the state is taking for, for small businesses, all of those things play into and bringing new, um, new jobs and new opportunities to the state. So it does make it hard to look outside this area. Not that we wouldn't, but we really like it here. Oh yeah, I agree. Phoenix is a very phenomenal market, not only from hotels, but for multifamily as well. And I'm sure as other asset classes, Phoenix is definitely on like the top 10, if not the top 20 list for a lot of investors. So you mentioned that you had a hotel guy that kind of brought you the deal and kind of guided you into the hotel asset class. What other team members do you have that help you acquire hotels? Oh, yeah. So... Uh, our broker, the one that we're working with is uh, not, not the one who introduced us to the hotel guy, but the one that we're working with is all she does is hotels. And it's interesting because she does hotels in basically like a five state area. So she has her pulse on the market and what's happening in that particular industry. She's a huge part of the team. Uh, so much so that a lot of the recommended services, so for example, the commercial bank that we worked with, are those are folks that she knows and she has relationships with. Uh, it's also a small business loan, and so she knows folks and those relationships. So I would say we relied on her pretty heavily for you know those assistant in building out those rest of those team members. And... Uh, now ongoing one of the things that we do really right before day one so we took over the hotel on the first of a month two days prior we hired a general manager and that person is you know kind of the eyes and the ears all the time on site and this particular person has 20 plus years experience in hotels in limited service so just a, a perfect fit uh, to help build out that part of the team awesome 
what advice will you give someone that is interested in doing what you're doing, interested in investing in hotels that thought about it, might not have any assets yet, but they're eager to get started in hotels? Yeah, so I, I do think if they're looking to get started, they would need to either partner with or find a mentor uh, or work in the industry. So actually our operations guy that has the 20 years hotel experience started working in the industry. And that, you know, actually as, you know, front desk, general manager, that will give you a pretty good perspective as well of the day-to-day operations. But I'd say you, you need to, if you haven't, you need to find someone that you can partner with that can help guide you through that process. We have, you know, as I talked about, we've, we've failed in the past. We've, we've, uh, not every single property that I described has been fantastic either, right? Between the four, uh, the 28, that, that was a very, very challenging property. Uh, you, you have to go through some of that to give you a baseline. And so that's why it's so important to be working with someone who has that kind of experience. I completely agree. I've talked with a couple of coaches on this podcast and the key word I heard is having someone that I've done it before. Even from my previous guests, it said you take 10 years or sorting your years into days by having a coach or a mentor, which is outstanding person to have on your team. So we're going to transition into my fire round. <laughs> I greatly appreciate you being on the show. I got three questions for you before we head up for a day. So my first one is, what is your favorite snack? <laughs> Red wine. Does that count? <laughs> I, I, I put it as a question mark because uh, that that's my, well, here, I'm also, I really, really love chocolate and I always have this in my purse or at my desk. It's Trader Joe's, like 85% dark chocolate. I love it. Interesting. I'm more of a sweet and sour type of guy, but that chocolate is okay. Okay. So next question is, what is a book that had the most impact on you in this previous year? Oh, in the past year, I read, and I'm still rereading it, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. It's really good. Interesting. Who is it by? Uh, Nathan Latka. Sorry. No, it's totally fine. Yeah. It was an interesting book. I'll put it in the show notes and definitely have to check it out. So my last question for you is, what do you like to do to help you relax at the end of the day? Uh, to relax. So I have three rescue dogs uh, and they are the world to me. So I enjoy taking them for a walk and honestly, just hanging out with them on the couch. Nice. What type of dogs are they? They're all long-haired chihuahuas. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nicole, for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Can you let the listeners know how they can get in contact with you? Sure. You the, probably the best place is my website, which is the richer r i c h e r geek dot com, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. And I'm glad you mentioned LinkedIn because that's how we actually connected to Trevor, not Trevor. You don't know why LinkedIn challenge phenomenal. You need to be utilizing LinkedIn. If you're not, please get on it. 
the people you connect with, like Nicole, is amazing. I second that. <laughs> well, Nicole, thank you once again for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Anthony. Great to be here. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I greatly appreciate it. Leave us a review and rating on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Also share with a friend who might enjoy or benefit from the show. I want you to remember this. The knowledge you learned is useless until you take action upon it. Subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. See you next week.